Hello, everyone. Thank you for joining us. My name is Daryl Urbanski, your host as always. And today we are joined by Liana Ling, AdSkills CEO and owner. She helps business owners and agencies grow, plus get as many clients as they want. AdSkills is a learning platform with expert instructors teaching you crucial lessons on how to get more website visitors, leads, and customers. So I've asked Liana to join me here today so we can talk about best practices in the future of growing online businesses. So Liana, thank you so much for joining us, my friend. How are you doing? I'm doing fantastic. Thank you so much for inviting me. I really enjoy spending time with you. Yeah, it's been good. We've been talking shop. Now, before we get into like paid ads and ad skills and your role there, I mean, I want to know, how did you even get started in business? Like you come from a family of entrepreneurs. Did you have a lemonade stand as a kid? <laughs> you know, it's, I like that question because I think a lot of people think when you're an entrepreneur, you come from this long line of entrepreneurs and I don't, I come from the, I think the typical middle-class, maybe upper middle-class family where, and I don't, this probably is not just for Chinese families, but you know, you were growing up and you're told you need to get an education. You need to graduate from college. You need to find a career like, and it can't be in the arts. You know, I, I actually studied piano and was a concert harpist for years, but I was oh, always uh -huh. told music is never your primary thing. Like you must get a job. Okay. <laughs> you know, you're going to be a doctor or a lawyer or an accountant or something like that. And that was my road. And I, I did become a lawyer. I went through all that schooling and I became a lawyer. And, you know, one thing that I realized later on was that I actually was a frustrated entrepreneur inside because I couldn't figure out why I just wasn't that happy or I, I kept disrupting things too much in corporate America and getting in quote unquote trouble. So uh, I realized that's really because inside I really was an entrepreneur. So actually after I came back from mat leave from having my son, I was made redundant. And that's when I, you know, I had, you have to take another look at yourself and go like, really, who are you? Right. Because your whole life and is, is entwined into this yeah. identity that oh, I'm yeah. a lawyer. Right. Yeah. And you don't realize it till it's taken away from you. And, uh, you know, and then, and I just, I had no appetite for going on to interviews and stuff like that. You try and do it, you put out your resume and things like that. And it just, you know, I'm like, yeah, I want a job. But what really excited me was actually giving myself permission to be an entrepreneur. Mm -hmm. And I started it in a very safe way. So I, I didn't do the, oh, like I lost everything and I had to hustle and, you know, I gave up everything. I did it in a safer way in that I bought a franchise first. Mm. because I was always, the thing with being a lawyer is I was always afraid of being, going on on my own, just handing out my own shingle as a lawyer. Cause I, I always felt that, oh, like I need the support, right? It's like the imposter syndrome or just don't, not having the confidence and nobody taught you sales, like nothing. You come out of law school, you don't know how to talk to people. You've no social skills. You just know the law, right? <laughs> so that's, you know, so I felt that having a franchise would be safer because there's a system, there's a community. You know, I talked to a lot of different people in it. They seemed very friendly. It wasn't an overly competitive one. And that's how I got started. I bought a digital marketing franchise. And then mm. I, I personally think I outgrew it. And went into what I feel like was the real world where everything was else was happening. But I learned a lot of great skills from that. It was the first time I got exposed to sales coaching and I became a sales coach as well because I got trained by the sales coach there and because I just wanted to keep offering services to help my clients. And, and it just steamrolled from there. I'm the breadwinner of the family. So I did, you know, there's a lot on the line, but I just did it. Mm, <laughs> you know? mm, I just mm. did it. Right. And it was just. 
it was like I, you know, I actually did like being a lawyer. I, I did love being a lawyer at times, actually, and I still love it. But I really felt that my life started when I was an entrepreneur because I get to do this. Yeah. I get to talk to under entrepreneurs like you, and like other people. I get to learn the stories. I get to learn things. And it, all of that adds to what you're building as well. Like it still blows mm. my mind that mm. that's valuable, right? Because yeah. you're working in a company and they're like, why are you talking? Go back to work, right? Stay right. in your cubicle, right? Right, right. right. You know? Yeah. It's like you, if you can make content, you can talk to people like you, you can make a living. You can live like that. <laughs> like it's, it still blows my mind. Yeah. Yeah. I remember the first time I put out my shingle and someone paid me. That was a, like yes. a life changing moment. Like you're going to pay me to direct my life and do what I, I want. You trust me? Like it was like, yeah. a, you, yeah. you trust me? That feeling, yeah. right? Was mm -hmm. I call it life by design. I mean, I apply it to everything else, fitness, everything, but Life by design. I think it's so empowering for someone. Yeah. So I think that's fantastic. Yeah. Now I still remember shaking the first time I got my first payment. Do you really? I don't know about you, but I was like shaking. And then I also remember the first time that somebody signed up and I, I remember the first time I sold a 5k a month deal and that I got the check. And I was in the car because it was back in the days when you had to do everything in person for sales calls. And mm -hmm. I took a picture of it. Like I was literally shaking. Like I mm -hmm. you know? mm -hmm, mm -hmm, I'll never mm -hmm. forget it. Yeah. And on the opposite side, I remember the, the, and maybe it's just my personality type, but I almost remember the disappointment the first time I made $25,000 in a day. Mm -hmm. I got that check and I went, I think I went to Jumbo Juice. I, I, I bought a pair of shoes from like Payless or something like that, that cost me, you know, like 20 bucks. I think I spent 40 bucks and I just did my normal life routine. And that was a, for a moment for me, that was almost kind of feedback to this life by design thing. Oh, it's, it's not gonna, like nothing changed is my point. I went and cashed right. my bank for 25K and then I did my normal routine. I went and got a Jumbo Juice. I was like, I should do something to celebrate. I bought a hat. <laughs> And a pair of shoes for like less than for like 80, because I'm still a value shopper, right? So it's not like I went and spent like, I'm getting Gucci. Like, no, I still went and I got right. nice stuff, but you know, I spent like 80 bucks. And I just remember kind of like going to bed that night, kind of laughing. Like I've got, you know, I, I used to live on 25 grand for a year, you know, like, and I was like, but nothing, nothing changed. And that was a real yeah. big, like life, life by design moment. Right. You know, like that's, you know. It's yeah. like you were knight. It's like you feel like were you supposed to be knighted in that moment, and then yeah. you change. Like you're a Power Ranger or something. Like something yeah. just changes. It's very anticlimactic. Like this. Yeah. Is, this is. Oh. Oh. Yes. Oh. <laughs> okay. I'll just get my. I'll get my usual, please. Like you know, I'm gonna go. All the time I was in San Diego, I'll go to the beach in Sanitas. I'm gonna go to the beach, watch the sunset. Oh, there's like a whole, you know, dynamic to it. So. You said you took it very safe, but I doubt it was just like linear progress. What were some of your greatest challenges? Oh, well, my greatest challenge. Okay. It sounds, some people say, oh, you're crazy. That wasn't a great challenge. But what happened was when I first, so, you know, I, I bought the franchise. I'm all there and I'm like, okay, I'm an entrepreneur. I can do this. Right. And of course you tell everybody and my uncle referred me to somebody who I signed up. I think I got like two clients, like before I even went to the first training session for the franchise. And, you know, and back then we were doing like SEO PPC website design, huge mistake because they were not, first of all, I, I feel like I was in over my head cause I had no idea what I was doing. I was just 
of course, right? You're a salesperson, you just sell yeah. it. So I knew yeah. I could deliver, Promise but I didn't you. know exactly how I was going to deliver it or how, because, and they trusted <laughs> me. They're like, we want to work with you. We know you're smart. Let's all work on this together, right? I wasn't misrepresenting. Like they all knew I was new at this, but what ended up happening was those clients, you know, I, I don't want to say that those clients were bad people. They're not. It just... I, I didn't set expectations in the beginning. I didn't ask certain questions I had to ask. Like, for example, oh, like, who's the person I should be talking to? And this isn't all done by committee. You know, things that we've all made mistakes with that I think take mm -hmm. a lot of time with clients. Mm -hmm. And and that was a big challenge for me because, and I hung on to them way too long. I mean, it took me, Daryl, it took me years before I really felt like I either referred or just let them, you know, it, I just let the relationship take its natural course mm -hmm. and really said, now I am actually working with ideal clients, like people mm -hmm. who just energize me, get, get, you know, I can't wait to work with them. I can't wait to meet with them. You don't get that pit in your stomach when they think, oh, let's have a meeting. Right. Mm -hmm. And it took me years to let go. And, okay. and then think of all the opportunities that I lost because I was, yep. Like, you know, always wasting time, basically trying to fulfill and spending yeah. all my time trying to figure it out. Right. Um, yeah. yeah. And even and... classical conditioning, people don't consider that. But if you work in a building, as an example, and you leave every day at three o'clock and the person you have to pass to leave the store makes you feel really uncomfortable, you're conditioning yourself every day at three o'clock to feel that. And then even on days off from work at that time of day, you're going to have you're going to feel uncomfortable. You're going to be conditioned to have that emotional response. Yeah. So you talk yeah. about working with people that energize you. I think that's a really important tidbit for people here to think about, you know, like problems are markets, not necessarily a demographic and around every problem, there's different stereotypes of people experiencing the problem. Mm -hmm. And so, mm -hmm. yeah. How did you, was that a prompt from someone? How did you decide to just work with ideal clients and like blow everybody oh, else off? Yes. So when I, so my nature is, when I want to learn something or do something, I try and figure out, I try and go all the way. Like, how can I actually master this? So I said, I want to master lead generation because that was a big challenge. And I want to master entrepreneurship and I want to master sales. So lead generation sales and entrepreneurship, because those are the three things I felt were just I, it's something I really wanted to dive in deep. So I started doing trainings. Like I did the Tony Robbins thing. I did the UPW. I did the business mastery. And then I, I actually met Michael Port and read his book, Book Yourself Solid. And I went into his program because his book worked for me. And that's who opened my eyes really about, he talks about having a red velvet rope policy and only, and, and why, and he tells the story of this donkey. But the point is, if you try and please everybody, you please no one. Right. And that got through my head. So there were two main things that, that helped was I distinctly remember in sales coaching where my sales coach looked at me and first of all, he said, who here is a perfectionist? And I proudly raised my hand up. Right. <laughs> and then he looked at me and said, like, you have dude. the yeah. lowest standard. Like that is the lowest standard you could Whoa. ever give somebody. Oh, and I was just like, that hurts. What? That hurts. And then I realized that he said, because nobody's, you can't achieve perfection. So you've now set yourself up for a standard. You are never going to achieve. achieve. Yeah. That oh. was huge That's for deep. me. That's deep. Right. Deep. And then this, where it's like, no, you don't please everybody. Just, just uh, even if you have no clients, attracting the right people will attract other people. But yes. 
if you keep looking for those ideal clients, you'll get go farther, right? It doesn't make sense. It's like classical conditioning, like you were saying, it doesn't make sense in your brain, right? Right. Well, I need to narrow down to get more people. Yeah. But yeah. I found that to be true. And other people have told me that too, but it's really hard. It's right? really when you're hard. You're like, you'll sign up anybody who's willing to pay you. Yeah. And I, I don't prostitute myself like that anymore. So yeah, I love that. I love that. So what would you recommend to someone who's starting out and maybe struggling with niching? Yeah. Or- I do recommend that you set up like the red velvet rule policy, like create, and don't just say, oh, I only want to work with people of money. I mean, I specifically said people energize you because usually that's when you do your best work. So figure out mm-hmm. what are the characteristics of people that you do your best work with, right? And make that your policy and look for those people. But in the beginning, you can make your rope very loose. You don't have to keep it so tight, right? You can say something, eh, they kind of fit, but not quite, but that's okay. I'll take them on. And if you just, just stay that way, then you'll grow better because you don't want to be like what I did where I had less than ideal clients. And like, I can just, I still feel the PTSD from that. And that mm-hmm. I know that I spent a year and a half, at least trying to please them, trying to be what I couldn't be. And I know I left money on the table. I know I left amazing opportunities that I had no resources or time or energy to go after because mm-hmm. I was so focused over here. Right. What about lead gen? What if someone's just starting out and struggling with lead gen? I mean, they might be like, this sounds great. You know, hey, Liana, this sounds great, but I don't have the leads to be able to be picky. What would you recommend? Yeah, I recommend that you choose two or three things to because there are a number of things you can do with lead gen and it's not all cold calling, but I recommend you choose two or three things that you think will be high impact, but that is something you can do every single day and you just do it consistently. And I've done everything. Like I've even done the, like I paid, I would pay to get appointments made for me. You know, I've done cold calling, like literally, like we were sitting there, like literally cold calling. Like I've done that. I've done like boiler room stuff there. I've done webinars. I've done ads. I've done like almost everything you can think of like events and trade shows and go out and speaking everywhere. And yeah, I've done all of it. And I I found it all works. It all works at a certain level. Mm -hmm. It's just, how much are you willing to do and, and what's the smarter way to do it so you're not like going crazy, right? Mm-hmm. Um, so I, I find that there are some high impact things you can do. I like to try and space them out. So the first thing I like to do is to have a systematic way to reach out to my network. And that's really just make a list of people that you need to stay in touch with. And every day, just send three messages. It takes you 10 minutes. So just pick one person, introduce them to somebody else in your network so you look like a connector because that's where the business goes, right? If you connect to people. The second person, just send them a nice note. I was thinking about you. I appreciate you. Like what kind of kindness can you send them that day? And the third person is just send them something useful, like not stuff mm. that has your logo on it, but like, oh, I saw this and I know you like golf or whatever and just send it to them. And if you keep doing that every day, I usually recommend don't make the list more than 90 people. But if you do that every day, you touch everybody once a day in the month. And whenever Mm -hmm. I do that, somebody usually reaches back out. Oh, I forgot about you, Leanna. I meant to talk to you, right? Let's have coffee. Let's do this. Let's catch up. And then that leads to business. Mm -hmm. So I, I do like something like that. The second thing I do is I would do something that gives me exposure. And in today's world, I know right now there's some people putting out videos saying short video doesn't work. I still think that it's one of the great ways just to get yourself out there. So mm. do a short video every day, like yeah, 10 short, seconds. short plug lead gen queen on yeah. yeah. Yeah, do just do that every single day and post it to all the platforms. And I always say you can ask him, he will tell you this. Kevin Nations told me he, I mean, of course, we knew each other from Clubhouse, but 
you know, when I started doing short video, he said to me, I don't remember anything you did in your videos because he doesn't watch short videos, but he goes, I paid attention to you, you know, because mm. you kept showing up everywhere. And mm. when you were having an event, I came because you just kept popping up. And the more, the longer I did short video, the more messages I would get from people saying, oh, you showed up for me today. You showed up for me today because the platforms are all pushing it. Mm. So that that's the second mm. thing I would do. And then the third thing I do is I would pick something that gets you in more direct contact with your ideal client. You could do a podcast. You could be maybe networking in your local area. You could be offering your own events and inviting people. I personally love the podcast uh, way of doing it. I created a podcast called Beyond the Elevator Pitch just because I had to do that. I told somebody I had it and then I... I hadn't launched it yet. So I quickly called a bunch of my friends and I was like, I need to do this. So we, I did the interviews, threw it up on Anchor. And then I, I had the meeting because I used the podcast as a way to get my foot in the door for mm -hmm. a sales call. <laughs> okay. So that's what I would do. And, and I, call, I just called it beyond the elevator pitch because I said, well, I want to find out more about you. Right. Yeah, yeah, and what's the best sales meetings? You just yeah. ask a lot of questions about you. That's right. Um, but I will, I mean, there, there is a trick to it, which, okay, I'll, I'll tell you. And I, by the way, I do want to give a shout out to Zach Hammer because this is who I learned it from. And mm -hmm. he's actually literally shared the entire process inside of ad skills. And I know somebody in ad skills, like he did message me and said he followed it and he got like a 5k client a month or something like that from it. I mean, it does work. But the magic is actually what happens before and after the podcast. And I didn't know that. So the first time I was, I was doing it all wrong. But what you do is before the podcast starts, you ask them what would make this a success for you? And you just have that little conversation there. And now you're finding out what's important to the person, what they want. So then you keep that at the back of your mind. And then you tell them to stick around after the podcast. After the podcast is over, then you have a little, you know, post podcast discussion. And this is where you can go further into the conversation you were having, or you can turn the conversation back around to what it is that they want. And you can start asking them, you know, the questions you would normally ask in a sales call. And I, I just like to tell people, get to a point where you find out what the person wants and you ask them, do you want help with that? If they say yes, you say, well, and it's something you do, you can say, well, I think I'm the perfect person to help you with that, you know, mm -hmm. and just kind of go from there. And uh, I've heard story after story of people who follow it this way and, and they've been able to use it as just a, it doesn't feel like a spammy or pushy way. So that's what I would do. And, and I still, you know, I have a podcast as well, and I kind of use it to network as well, because if we're going to chat, I'd rather do it on podcasts and create content. Why right. not? Right. right. Uh, so that's more enjoyable for me. And it makes me feel like, you know, we're both getting value out of it. And mm. if I talked this long and we were in Zoom and nobody was watching, I'd probably say, oh, I'm rambling too much, but we're on no, a podcast and yeah. this is helping people. So it's, you know, it's adding value. Why not? Yeah. Uh, that's, yeah. Yeah. No, no. I, I think you hit a huge, huge, great point there. I mean, if someone wants to start a podcast and they're like, well, what, what do I talk about? You should just do a podcast where you interview your ideal. Why? Yes. Yeah. Who's going to say no? I, so I, my most people my will say, won't say no. No, most people won't. And my girlfriend has a writing agency. And early on, one of the things she thought she wanted to do now, she's got really got her niche. She's got 16 something clients, 20 something staff. But in the early days, she thought she was going to ghost write books for, for podcasters using their podcast mm -hmm. as content. And I talked to Mitch Russo, who's used to be CEO for Tony Robbins and Chet Holmes back in the day. 
And he was like, why, why would I want to make a book out of my head? And I was like, well, because you're kind of, he's like, yeah, but he's like, I don't even care if nobody listens to my podcast. And I was so confused at the time. Like, what, what do you mean? He's like, I'm, yeah. I, I only do a podcast to get my ideal prospect to sit there and answer my questions for 30 yes. minutes. It's the most non-threatening way to book a sales call. And yes. that's what he said. It made me laugh. So I, yeah. Yeah, it makes me, I'm, I'm not, I'm not lining true. you up for anything, Liana, just, just as a yeah. heads up, but Hey, <laughs> even if I was, even if I was, uh, yeah, that's great. I love that. Yeah. It's yeah. absolutely true. Absolutely true. I can, and it just doesn't, and, and the pressure's off, right? You don't have to worry about, Oh, I need this many downloads. I need this many subscribers. Yeah. You don't just serve people. I mean, you, you talked about my TikTok, right? Well, yeah. when I was growing my TikTok, I remember when I was at about 2000 followers, I was starting to get a lot of DMs from people on Instagram saying, oh, like they thought I was an influencer, like giving, saying, hey, will you, will you do a video about my software? I'll give you freebies. And I, this had never happened to me before. And they were asking me to do it on TikTok. On Insta, I had like 10,000 followers. They didn't care about Insta. They looked at TikTok and they thought I had done all these videos. And that's what impressed them. Not, mm. oh, she only has 2,000 followers. Nobody cared mm -hmm. about that. And, mm. you know, and I have some videos that have gone to... I think my best video is like 137,000 views. Wow. It doesn't matter. Like you're like, oh, wow. Who cares? I mean, you know, it just, wow. That particular one went mini, mini viral, but right. You know, right, right. it doesn't you really do, matter. 500 pieces of content. It. One of them goes viral. You're like, yeah, thank goodness. Thank goodness. At least one of them did. <laughs> yeah, that's right. That's right. You know? And so I can point to that. Right. But it doesn't really mean anything. You know, it just, they like to see the volume which shows consistency, which shows, I think it shows that you, you can get stuff done. You can be consistent. So they're like, Hey, I want that person on my team. So how did you get into where you are now? You were doing a digital marketing franchise before. Yeah. And, and then where does ad skills come into the picture? Cause sure. I know, when, yeah, you didn't just like come in and buy it. You're like, Hey, I'm a no. big spender. I'm going <laughs> to absorb this. What's that story? This was this is probably the opposite of what you're supposed to do when you go into a new company. But uh, yeah, I had a franchise and I wasn't happy because I just wasn't. I knew I had to do something else. And I, I was just trying to do stuff on my own. And you go through that period of imposter syndrome. Oh my gosh, what am I going to do? And for a couple of years, I was actually helping to run the Inc. Business Owners Council with Lewis Schiff. He mm. was based in New York. I would kind of go there every month. And I was just, I was being almost like a fractional COO mm. slash CMO because I was trying to figure out what the heck am I doing, right? And we hired David Schloss to do Facebook ads. David, David, he's been David, David. And uh, yeah, and I'd kind of known David from before. I can't remember when, how, but we kind of chatted and he was like, Leanna, why aren't you running the ads? He's like, you can run ads. I was like, yeah, but you know, I don't know if that's really what I should be doing anymore. I was having this crisis of identity and he was like, you should do it. You should go back and be a media buyer. And, uh, and I said, really? And he was like, yeah, he's like, you should go learn from Justin Brooke because he knows I like to look for the best people in the world. And I saw he had trained Molly Pittman and stuff. So I looked up Justin and I saw that he had the certification program. And that he was offering a deal. It was like some type of scholarship. And so, you know, when I went into the sales funnel, I said, hey, like, how do I get in on the scholarship? You kind of, I'm Canadian. You're charging in US dollars. I have to do all these things, you know, please help me out here. 
So Justin, when Justin tells the story, he he said he has to approve those plans. So they right. approved the plan. And I went in and I just remember him saying, part of it was you get access to Justin for like 30 days or something. I remember him mm -hmm. kind of telling us off saying like, nobody's messaging me. Like you guys are wasting this opportunity. So I was afraid to, I was just so afraid. And then when he said that, I was like, okay. So I was running some campaign <laughs> for people. And I started sending it to him. He's like, yeah, he's like, you're really good. I was like, really? I thought, you know, these were average. He's like, no, 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 you're really, really good. And I just kept sending him stuff and saying, what do you think about this? And that's when it started. And I knew just some communities just click with you. Mm -hmm. And the people in that community were so amazing. I mean, this was even before Slack. It was a different forum. I was shaking in my boots the first time I posted something to ask for help, but I did. And all these people were very kind. And every time I had a problem, I posted in there. If I could help, I posted in there. And I just, every single day, and till this day, I have not, I don't think I've hardly missed a day unless I was like on my deathbed. I've gone into the ad skills community and read, posted, asked a question because mm. that community just showered so much love on me. I felt like that was my community. And I just started doing that. And year over year, people started noticing me. Justin started noticing me in the community. Like, who is this person? She's like helpful. She's always there. And, you know, and and I, I was, it was just that. And then I got asked to lead certain things or like, oh, would you do this? And then I finally got asked to be a guardian. And I just kept doing more and more things in the community. And I wasn't getting paid. I just said, I want to give back because the community gave so much to me. Justin referred me to people like I would, he were the first person he referred me to that blew my mind was John Benson. Mm. I would never in a million years be in the same room as John. And he did. And John's like amazing. I worked with him for years. And that's what that was. I talk about consistency, but that's what it is. Like I, I just, every single day I'm in there in the community. Mm -hmm. And so after a while, you know, Justin approached me and said, Hey, would you help coach the pro program? And so I did. And then he says, I want you to be the face of the pro certification program. So I was, and I started to run that. And then he was like, Hey, let's have a little chat. I was like, okay, what's happening? <laughs> And he just shared with me where he felt he was in his journey as a CEO and where he saw ad skills going. And then he just shared that, you know, they had been looking for somebody to take over because mm. he just felt it was time. And he knows that I genuinely love ad skills. I love the community. I mean, it's it's just, mm. and I, I know other people feel this way too. We kind of talk about it. It feels like family. It just feels like it's just, I've gotten so much from it and I've made some amazing friends and collaborations inside of there. Mm. Again, just because I showed up every single day, you know, and just gave without taking. And it, it actually grew very organically from that conversation. We just kept having the conversation. You know, it hasn't been, there's been ups and downs, obviously. There's been challenges. It's almost like learning how to get married you know, mm -hmm. and living with somebody, you know, and then they, you know, he and Shauna said, no, like you're the right person. Mm. And it was amazing when he announced it because for years I would tell people I don't work for ad skills because they would, I would get the support questions sometimes and I would say, no, 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 I don't work for ad skills. No, and skills. some people said, oh, I always thought you were working for ad yeah, skills. So some people were confused, like what? You weren't? Yeah. <laughs> and so when he announced it, people were going, you're the perfect person. Like, yeah, it, it's, yeah. it's right, you know? And I thought so too. Yeah. Oh, oh thank you. I, it feels like home to me. Yeah. You, you know what I mean? Like, this is my yeah. tribe and and it just, it really feels like home. And even now, like, I'm just like tingling with excitement, just kind of talking about ad skills. I just yeah, I can feel I love it. ad skills so much. 
I love the community. I love the people. I've been in a lot of different communities and you know, they're not all, I mean, there's some great communities out there, but I have absolutely never found a community where I've just found so many other love. It sounds sappy, but like there are people there who genuinely care about each other yeah. and who are genuinely able to help. And will get on the phone with you to help you with a campaign just because, and they're like running these huge campaigns themselves or these, huge, you know, Jeremy Blossom was on a call today. Like he has, he's like an Inc 5,000 agency owner. He's got like 70 plus people on his team yet. He doesn't, you know, he doesn't need the money. He doesn't need to come in every month to kind of talk to us and tell mm -hmm. us off and like give us advice about stuff, but he does mm -hmm. because he wants to give back and he loves the community. I've never, mm -hmm. I've never come across that in other communities. So it's, just, uh, it's something special for sure. You I know, love that. Um, I love yeah. that. So what are some of the biggest mistakes you see clients and members and other entrepreneurs making considering that you've seen so much? I was going to ask for Justin's secret stuff, but that might be a better question. What is the greatest yeah. mistake you see wow. making? The biggest mistake I see people making is overthinking and not taking enough action. Not taking enough imperfect action. And I'm not the type of person who says, just throw a caution in the wind and just do it. I think that there's a balance. But what I see the most happening is coming in, not having the confidence mm. to just take that first step. And it's so important in marketing because you know this, nothing works, right? You put it out there, it's not going to work. Right. <laughs> I kind of go in thinking like it's not going to work, but we are so ingrained. It comes back to your conditional, to the conditioning that you were talking about, mm -hmm. classical conditioning, right? Because I know you're so into the psychology, but we're conditioned this way. We, yep. oh, we want to do the right thing. Yeah, There's we're no afraid right of way. getting red marks from the teacher. Yeah. There's no right, right way. I know that I'm one of the best in the world at doing Facebook ads. And it, but if you put me in a room with 10 other people, we all have different ways of doing it and they all work and they all don't work. I have campaigns that are like dying and I have campaigns that are, that are winning. Right. And we just got to figure it out. Right. You just got to keep testing and testing and testing and testing until you, you break through. And I think it's just however you keep persistent. So the first thing is not taking enough action in the beginning, just take that next step or just do it because you want to get the muscle memory. If you don't have a client, mm -hmm. create a campaign. You don't have to make it live, create a campaign yep. or you're going to run an affiliate campaign, do something. So you get yeah. the muscle memory, yep. trick your brain. Yep. That's the first thing. The second thing is I noticed that I don't think people test enough. Like mm. really, really test, like just go through the list like a robot and test, which is where I think AI can really start to come in more and take the emotion out of everything mm. because we get to a point where we feel like, oh, this is all my blood, sweat and tears. This is not working, not working. Right. Or they're Tony Robbins says to you're two millimeters work. away, right? Yeah. Yeah, 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 yeah. So just go through your list and just like, I have this extensive list and I use ChatGBD to make it even more detailed. And now I just go through it. And if it doesn't work, I keep going through the next thing, next thing, next thing, next thing. I now have like 17 different ways of testing primary text. And then I run through it again, run through it again. And I start to get more results through that. I just, you know, you just got to keep going through all the things because none of us tests everything. We right. always leave something on the table. And that's usually the thing that's going to work, right? The one right. that we didn't test. Yeah, the last thing you test is going to be the thing that helps you break through, right? Isn't that like when exactly, you- Exactly, right? It's always in the last right? place you look. Yeah. 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 <laughs> but you've, you've driven yourself crazy because you're like, ah, oh, I can't do this. Or I, I suck. And, you know, I need to get out of this. I'm no good. And then all of a sudden, oh, I'm the best in the world because <laughs> it mm -hmm, worked. Mm -hmm, yeah. mm -hmm. I love that. So take imperfect action, test more. Anything else? 
Oh gosh. Empathy was, I struggle with empathy, Daryl. Like I, I work really, I really, care. really hard at empathy, <laughs> really hard because I need to be more formulaic in my mind. Right. So mm. I, I come up with, I have to come up with processes and ways to figure this out and signals. The reason I say empathy is, you know, the world, I think the world revolves around relationships and a lot of things could be solved because the other person didn't have empathy which means you didn't know how to communicate properly. Most of the times media buyers lose or anybody, any agent loses a client. It's not usually because of the results. It's right. usually because of communication or relationship issues. Yeah, a hundred percent, hundred percent. Because we know marketing goes up and down. It's yep. who do you want to ride with you on the highs and the lows, right? Yep. Yep. And yep. that's, I, I think if I, I wish I had learned that way earlier and I learned how to, manage it. I still don't. I have an inner circle and I'm a lot of times I'm going, Hey guys, like, how do I respond to this? Cause sometimes I just feel like a robot. I don't know how. And I have a really good friend, Zach, where he's like my Cyrano de Bergerac. Sometimes I'm like, I don't know what to say. And he's like, Leanna, say this. And his words just get in my brain. <laughs> so it, it just, cause I just need something to start with. Yeah, um, yeah. And that's, I'm sure that saved me many a client relationship. Because, you know, you just, you just get in your head too much. You make up stories like, oh, you know, you, you put a different spin or interpretation on something, yeah. uh, not realizing like, Hey, you know what? They're not trying to micromanage you. They're not trying to criticize you. They're just trying to find out this because this yeah. other thing is happening to them. Yeah. So like, why yeah. are you driving yourself nuts? Right. Yeah. Um, head yeah. games. Yeah. Justin um, gave me a really good tip once we were going hard on something online and he said, I really wish you'd opened up with a question first. And so now anytime That's I'm concerned good. about that, he's always, you know, I'm always like, is this, and I try to just pause. And I, I also try to read and reread, not that I'm perfect by any, by any means, no, I'm so far from, but the, how to win friends and influence people that has been at the top of the bestseller list for so long. Cause it is such a good book. And I think it's again, especially in the era of automation, artificial intelligence, like you said, empathy, that, that emotional intelligence, learning mm -hmm. how to collaborate with other people. Because the, the reality is, is that your clients could be complete buffoons. Like they might be really good at what they do. Therefore, people seek them out. You see a movie, someone's like a world expert, but they're kind of a recluse and they have no people social skills. And so you got to try to like you could you need to have all the social skills in the world because you might need to make up for their lack of social. So it's just it's not an easy, an easy thing. And I think it's going to get worse considering that there's so many only children growing up and like these kids that are just the screen is sucking their face 42 hours a day mm -hmm. that there's just, you know, and, and uh, so I think that's a really good tip for everyone that's listening to yeah. focus on emphasis and, and the humanness that yes. interconnectedness, you know, all yes. things being, being equal, people want to do business with their friends, all things not equal. Yes. People still prefer to do business with their friends. So yes. That, yes, yeah. exactly. Yeah. And there's going to be somebody else who can replace you. So yeah. you need to be, they need to love working with you because yeah. they, otherwise they'll just go to somebody else. Yeah. 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 I love that. So where do you think the future we've started, talked about it a little bit here. So you, you've given some great tips on like how to get started, you know, what to do if you're struggling, you gave kind of three pillars, lead gen sales, entrepreneurship, talked about, you know, working with your ideal clients, um, having two or three high impact daily lead gen activities that you do. You gave some great suggestions for them. You shared your own personal story of kind of crawl, walking, running into being really involved in a community that nurtured you. I think that daily discipline is also was, I think it was easy to lose in that message, but I think it was a really key 
you know, like any, anything we're doing is we're doing every day. Mm-hmm. That's my, my personal philosophy is like, what day, what routine do I need every day? If I wanted to love who I became and how I'm living when I'm 80, like, I what is that, that daily? Like, that's my, you know, I give myself Sundays, like, Hey, I've got, God had to rest on the seventh day. It's okay if I'm a little lazy too, but generally speaking, what is the daily routine that I need? Mm-hmm. Uh, you talked about, you know, finding a mentor. You also talked about kind of, like you said, overthinking. So taking a perfect, perfect action, testing more and having empathy. We've kind of hinted to the future. Some of these new tools that are really making waves. Do we all need to be concerned? Like, what do you think is going to happen in the future of online business? Yeah, I I think there will be people who will be blindsided no matter what. Right. Because their jobs will be overtaken and they won't see it coming. So right. I, I know that and that happens every time, right? Whenever automation came in, you know, we've been through this before. I think right. this is just happening at such a bigger scale speed, right? And at scale. But what I think is interesting is is I think. Okay, this may sound very like Star Trekish or something, but I think that as a human species, this is going to push us to the next level because it's moving at such a speed that it's going to take over all the mundane tasks and the right. repetitive tasks. Right. So what do you like think about what you do all day? You just talk about a routine, right? A lot of our routine is just doing stuff. Yeah. Right. And how many things, and we've talked about, oh, using, you know, every time I want to share, I turn around to share somebody saying, well, I'm, I'm having it do this for me. It's always about tasks, like mundane tasks that it could do faster yeah. and better than me. So what do you do with all that extra time? Right. Yep. I think yeah. it's forcing us to step up, to level up. Mm-hmm. Right. Now we have to step up to be like, we have to use our brains. We can't get away with just being button pushers anymore. And right. that's not going to be very pleasant for some people. Right. I'm not right. passing any judgment. Just some people no, just don't but want I to get be it. that. I get it. Right. Yep. And, and so you have to use your, which I love, I, you know, I love puzzles. I love doing, I mean, I love all this. I have more time to really think. And I think that's what it is, is how it's forcing us to be more creative, to be more strategic and to lean into what you talked about. Empathy makes us human. Like, I think now is the time to lean into really what the humanness of things. And we can do even more about that and then let all the robots do all the automation stuff. Mm. What I also think is that there, we're also seeing a marriage between the robots opening our, our our time and our energy up to think about things and then marry that with automation and many, many unique things are going to come out of that, that we can't mm-hmm. even imagine. And I'm sure some of them are going to be like nightmares and some of them are going to be, you know, like a dream. Right. So then when we get into all the, you know, what are the ethics of stuff, but that's, I mean, that's life, that's humans, but it's, I mean, I've had the most amazing ideas because I've been able to go back and forth with ChatGPT yeah. or play around with different things. And I know that I would not have gotten those ideas I can't believe like a friend of mine, we we're sitting here going over spreadsheets and stuff, trying to figure out how to build a model that follows Bayes theorem to analyze ads. So, Mm. you know, I was reading all the stuff and I kind of had an idea, but I'm not a titian, but with ChatGPT, he actually created a spreadsheet that has like a linear regression model. And, and we got pretty close, I think just with Google sheets. That's crazy to me. Like that we can even do this. Cause I, one of my passion projects is I want to try and figure out how to predict the behavior of ads a lot earlier. Mm-hmm. Like what can you do when you put it out and you see this early data and what are some models that can actually more reliably predict what's going to happen so we can predict winners and make better decisions. Mm. 
Mm. Sorry, that's like a whole other hour discussion, but that's, okay, that's I got a like link I want to send I'm you finding. after the call. I got a link yeah. I want to send you after the call. <laughs> and, but ChatGPT is enabling us to do this because we can explore different theories and then ask how to, I'm like, okay, that looks great. And I would say, explain it to me like I'm in eighth grade. Yeah, I love that little, too. Right? Here's the tools I have. Like, can I do anything in Excel? And then I'll say, well, you can get this far, but then you need to do this, this, and this. I'm like, oh, well, now I have a path, right? Mm. Uh, so it's, it's just, that blows my mind, you know, that there's so much possibility there, but yeah, people are going to lose their jobs. And I think it's just, it's up to us to also learn how to pivot again. I think it's also using empathy as well, seeing like what the other person needs and how can we provide that? Mm. You know, how, especially somebody who's a media buyer. Yeah. Part of being a media buyer is pushing buttons and tasks, but I think it's also knowing which buttons to push and, and how, which, to, how to do the planning. Yeah. And, and which software like, models need to work together. It's almost like you're a conductor putting together this orchestra and then you're going to conduct the symphony. And is is it going to make beautiful music or is it going to sound you know, like yeah. just like a of instruments? Yeah. I, I think it's very, to me, very similar to when MarTech exploded. And then, cause I, you know, I, I, I'm in that world too. And it just like, how do you help people choose from all the software and, and like MarTech consultants? I think that they're, to me, it's just bolting on AI right now. You've got another tool to add. Right. So we can add value this way by creating the growth plans, creating the strategies and saying, here's the best way to put it all together. And then actually implementing that like mm. business owners don't want to do that still. Nothing right. else has changed that way. Right. So right. I think that's how the media buyer is going to evolve. Yeah. And, and you also have to be much more, I think you also have to be, have more intelligence and more data and more expertise around creativity, around, mm. around offers, around conversion rate optimization, because the machines are doing everything else. Like you, you gotta, you know, you have to take a look at everything from up here now so yeah, to direct the direction things are going in. So that's my take right now. I don't know. Let's see next no, year. I, I can be fully I, wrong. I, I really Let's agree. see. <laughs> I really agree with you because we're already cyborgs. First of all, like you and I are not using where we have, I've got a microphone and a laptop and an internet connection connecting us yeah. from opposite sides of the planet. I'm going to, yeah. you know, we're going to hop in vehicles in a minute to travel faster than our physical bodies can carry us. Mm -hmm. So we're already cyborgs to a certain extent where we do, you yes. know, like this has happened a lot of times over. And I, I like to use the analogy of calculators with accounting, like originally you know, there weren't calculators or even spreadsheets. And a lot of the stuff was done by hand. And if, you know, if once calculators came out, a lot of people couldn't just tally numbers anymore, right? But it didn't replace the need for an accountant. It made the productive people more productive. And mm -hmm. the less productive people had to figure out what their ikigai was, what their, what was their true calling, because they couldn't just kind of collect a paycheck showing up, watching the clock and getting by. You know, like getting yes. by is not going to work in the new era. So I, I really agree with that to a certain extent. And I, I agree with also what you said. Like, I think we're on the, the precipice of a golden era. I think there are some hazards. Elon just announced that he's going to be launching a rival to ChatGPT. And part of his uh, reasoning was, is whatever you think about Elon, I'm, I'm, I'm a fan. I, I appreciate what he's done, but I know he's not perfect. I don't agree with everything he says, but he'd said that Let's call it something like truth GPT, where its sole prerogative is to identify the universal, you know, define truth, define the universal truth. And that he thinks that that's the most benign path for AI, mm -hmm. because right now we are seeing political bias in chat GPT. If you ask it how, like, sure. how can Jewish people improve, how can black people improve? It's like, this is not, how can white people improve? It gives like a long list of answers. There are all these nuanced biases that are being put into it to make it politically correct and X, Y, Z, you see this. 
But the problem is, is, you know, we don't seek out monkeys and, and try to kill them all. We have a path and on that path, we may injure other animals, but generally speaking, we're not out to injure them. But if you're forcing censorship and a, and a certain political persona on something, it will mm -hmm. seek out. And we just saw that with the Twitter files and how people were being sought out and censored. And so it's like yes. doing that is dangerous because you're teaching it to seek out and cancel things. Whereas yes. instead it's focus is a North star. Hey, let's in the pursuit of truth and, you know, and, and the secrets of the universe. Now it's a little more benign. So I, I like that. And I think we're on the precipice of a golden era, like you said. So it's, I think yeah, it's I like how you say time. that as a precipice of a golden era. I really like that. Cause I, think yeah, oh, right. I, def yeah. I definitely think, I think we're, this is going to be like the Cambrian explosion. Mm -hmm. uh, you know, we go to Mars, we, we extend our lifespan. We, you know, I don't, Sorry, this is your interview, not mine. I don't necessarily listen. I already had a mini retirement. I helped some. I helped a few people make a lot of money. I I had a mini retirement for a couple of years. This was my 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 yard, you know, this background screen here, and at this, I still needed a purpose to get up in the morning. You know, yes. like I really, I actually had to go through and fight off all my demons and my vices, uh, because you know, like in Canada, Canada marijuana is legal, right? You know, and it was mm -hmm. the early days of that. It wasn't quite legal, but. When you've got enough money in the bank for a couple of years, you're like, I'll, I can smoke a joint with my breakfast and show up these client meetings high. Like, who gives an F? Like, if they don't like me for who I am, and that's, you know, all the power to you if that's how you feel. But are you showing up and giving your best every day? Yeah. You know, and what happens when you compound that, right? Mm -hmm. Like, day after day after day. Now, what's happening is your health's going where it wants. Now, you know, it's the whole... The problem with addictions is they're not addictions until you're addicted. And now you've got yeah. a problem, right? And so it's like that. So I think that that's going to be a challenge that a lot of people go through where liberation of time, maybe even even some, I don't know. I'm not sure how I feel. How do you feel about universal basic income? Do you think that that's something that's legitimately on the horizon? Wow. <laughs> so I know it's a big area. That's a big thing, you know, and it just... I mean, some people would argue that we're a bit closer to that here in Canada, just because of, you know, the way we've already got universal health and like it's, it's in our psyche. And I understand why it's very difficult for Americans to kind of think that way because just because again, like the way that our governments work, right. Um, you know, it's, I really struggle with that because on the one hand, and, and I, I mean, I've met people I've worked, I've volunteered, you know, I, I yeah. see that there's a problem. Right. And I think, first of all, I think, okay, universal basic income, is that going to solve the problems that we're seeing out here, right? right? With homelessness, like tent cities, even just people just not having, living in such impoverished conditions with their families and just not having the basics of, of what they need. Mm -hmm. Is that actually going to solve it? I don't know that it yeah. actually is yeah. because yeah. humans are just, human beings are human, <laughs> Right. Yeah, yeah. You need, I mean, if you how many stories do we have of people who won the lottery and got pushed up to the next income bracket and then yep. they fell right back down again? And, they, and then so, they became bankrupt. Yep. Does money actually solve that? I I don't know the answer to that because yeah. I haven't studied it enough. I don't have the background expertise to know that. But if it helps, it probably helps a bit. I'm sure. I think universal health also probably helps as well. Yeah. But I think there has to be something more because I, I still come from that, which is probably very un-Canadian of me, but I still come from the, like, you got to pull up your britches yourself kind of thing, right? Like you need to put in that effort. It can't just be handed to you because you're never, you know, it's like, just look at all the studies of people who have like kids who have inherited stuff. Like most of the time mm -hmm. they talk about, oh, they inherited this or they inherited the business. 
and then it just the business just shuts down or yeah. they didn't increase the wealth they just took the wealth and and that's it like look at warren buffett right he said he's not going to leave his kids all his wealth because it's going to go into a trust and my grandparents right. did the same thing because yep. they're like it's what do you need it for right yeah. like you're, you're doing okay on your own so i that missing element yeah right? it doesn't change but I, I do have empathy and compassion because i really try i didn't fully understand it before but i do know that there are people who can't who don't have the same abilities that we have because of whatever health mental like there are some people who just who can't and i think mm -hmm. we need to take care of those people but yeah it's, is, it's tricky it's so it's tricky. very tricky i i used to not have any sympathy for i used to think oh everybody can just like do it and and so i learned that that's not the case for everyone right. uh, but what is a way that we can all add value and you know, and it, I I don't know. I just think that it's it everything to me is like missing that one piece and keep giving people stuff as it you know it's not going to change who you are inside. It's well, not going to get it as a business owner because when you give somebody some, there's a huge difference in attitude between someone that got something for free and someone that paid for yes, it. Yes, exactly. They pay, pay attention. You yeah. know, I I dispense free info to friends all the time and they never get results. And a client pays me a few thousand dollars and I give them the same advice I gave my buddy for free and they go make yeah. 10, 10 grand, 50 grand, 100 grand million with it. Yeah. And so yeah. it's the same. It's that, you know, in for a pound, penny in for a pound. Uh, yeah. yeah. You know, giving more for free isn't going to help with that. But at the same time, like you said, there it's it's just weird. You can't rubber pad the world. But at the same time, we do want to raise the standard of living for as many people as we can. Yeah. So it's. But yeah, you can't take away the incentives. I mean, everybody, I hear people, when I hear universal basic income, I'm like, okay, well, who's going to keep the machine running so you can have the uni universal basic income and what's their reward? Mm -hmm. And then how do you avoid having a two-tier society where you have the mm -hmm. producers of universal things and mm -hmm. the dependence on the universal? Like, it's just, no matter how you look at it, you're going to have, oh, well, the machines will do that. Well, they, they're not doing that now. And the machines aren't building, like, look, that will all maybe someday come about. Machines will make machines yeah. and they'll do it and take care of us. But at some point in time, on a long enough time horizon, we're going to have to hop in and fix some gears. And so it's that yeah. still, who's going to fix yeah. the gears? Yeah. The whole basis of social hierarchy was based off of the land, the man, the person. I mean, the kings owned the land, which they protected with warriors and they grew all the food. Therefore, they were at the top of the social hierarchy. Bill Gates is mm -hmm. the largest owner of farmland in the United States right now. And so it's, again, we do this universal basic income thing, but if I'm the provider of all things universal, then I'm your king. So we're still yeah. going to have this two-tiered society. So it's it's that weird. And it always shakes out that way, right? Even when they do random stuff or like you put people in some type of scenario, it does usually shake out that way, right? Yeah, that, and the universe, so... universe 17, I think it was called. Universe, mouse heaven or mouse hell. So there's a guy, universe 25, I think it was. So in the 1960s, this guy did all these experiments with mice and it, and it kind of gave some, some grim predictions for the future in the sense of they created mouse utopia, these different universes where mice would have everything that they could want and they were free from predators. And at some point they all, if, if you read about those and then you take a look at what's happening in society, you'd almost be, it's a little eerie because at first the populations would boom, but then because of the absence of predators and any like drive to nurture our survival instincts, all of the populations eventually collapsed until everybody was gone. And there was just weird things that happened. Like at first at some, there's all these weird things that are kind of analogies. Listen, be who you want to be, love who you want to love, love is love. Okay. I'm putting that out there. But in these mouse experiments, at some point, 
you know, people would start in the beginning, you know, men would fight for, for the females and they would have a bunch of babies and they would protect them and yada, yada, yada. But then once they realized that they didn't need that, all of a sudden everybody's having sex with everybody. And then you had like weird packs and then the young males, because they had no place for their aggression, they would form groups and randomly attack others. There was a group, they called them the beautiful ones. They elevated and lived in the higher tiers and they just groomed themselves all day. They didn't anything. Oh, I think I lost my internet. Are you there? Yeah, I come back. 